0: Hey, welcome back to BU, Jill Herman here. So this topic today is something we have never talked about in three years of podcasting. So we have had conversations about money. We've had conversations about our mindset around money, our relationship with money, the idea that money is energy. And it's been super enlightening and extremely important. Now we are shifting that money conversation into something more tangible. Like, what can we do with our money? What does it mean to be an investor? Why aren't there more women who understand how to invest, what to invest, what the rules are around investing, what are the benefits and what are the risks of investing? And I found the most amazing person to teach us all the things about investing. So Kara Ayala is a listener of the podcast. I've actually been on her amazing podcast. And she is so, so knowledgeable in this department. She's been extremely successful in business and is now very successful in helping, inspiring, coaching, mentoring, guiding women, especially women, in the world and the arena of financial investments. Kara Ayala is an entrepreneur a real estate investor, a mentor, and an advocate for women, wives, and moms. Kara has grown and sold multiple million dollar businesses in the real estate, construction, plumbing, HVAC, and property management industries. Podcast host of Marriage, Money, and Mayhem. Love that show, by the way. And founder of Rain and Co. You can find Kara at Kara underscore Ayala, A-Y-A-L-A on Instagram, Kara with a K, K-A-R-A, or on her website, rain R-E-I-G-N, and, dot, co. This episode is extremely practical. I recommend you listen, even if you don't have a penny to invest, because she explains something I never knew before. You don't have to have much at all to be able to invest. She's showing us tips and tricks and all of the the behind-the-scenes knowledge that she has as the expert that can help empower us, our sisters, our daughters, our friends, and our community. So here we are with Kara Ayala on how to become a female investor.
1: There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free.
0: Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you.
1: Okay, welcome, Kara
0: Ayala to Be You
1: Podcast. I am so excited to be here and just to have a conversation with you. Every time I'm with you, I'm like, I could talk to you for days. So I'm excited to be in front of your audience today.
0: I feel the same way. So background, we connected through social media. It was either through Kara or Joy Harrington. Do you remember? I think it was
1: Kara. It was Kara.
0: So Kara Elizabeth, who you've heard on this show before, connected us. And then I was really honored to be on Kara's podcast. And so here we are. Yeah, super excited. So as you and I were discussing, we've talked about money a few times on the show. But we've never talked about like the empowerment of it and like understanding it. We've talked more about like what's triggered to your money stories and your money mindset and what's underneath it. And why do you feel this way about money? But we've never talked more concretely. And I'm excited to, to learn with our listeners because of, of what you do about how empowering it is to understand money, to know what to do with your money and to talk about investing. Like even just investing, that makes me nervous. Like I was a nurse who got into network marketing and now I podcast. Like I knew nothing about that world whatsoever. And the interesting thing is, I know you're not surprised by this. There are a lot of people that know nothing about investing. Like my husband sold his business a few years ago and that's when he started learning. He's like, okay, I have something to invest. I have no idea what to do. Mm. And so he's been spending the past two straight years learning about investing. So let's just start wherever you'd like to start.
1: Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because we're not taught this in school. We're not taught about money in school. Like maybe you got taught how to balance a checkbook, which we don't even really need to do these days, you know, and maybe they don't even teach that anymore. But really that was the extent of my financial education as far as schooling is concerned. And I love that you've brought in people to talk about like our money stories because that's such a huge part of. Of it is like understanding your background. So, I would love to give like just a little background of how I got into investing, if that is cool with you. My husband and I got married pretty young. We were 19 and 18, actually. And so, we got married young, had kids young. And I never had a desire to open a business or be an entrepreneur, anything like that, because it just wasn't, you know, speaking of our past money stories, that wasn't something that was presented to me. My parents were entrepreneurs. And in fact, my grandpa had a ranch that he had inherited from my great-grandpa who had came over from Italy. And so he had this ranch and he decided to start investing. And he invested into this company and ended up losing everything, lost the ranch, everything. And so that story was told to me, not like don't do this, but in my like subconscious, I was like, I will never go into business i will never invest because you could lose everything and lose really important things that matter to the legacy of your family right um so that was kind of my background and my story so i just had no desire and i heard stories like steve jobs and he just he didn't he had horrible relationships And, you know, he changed the world with a phone, but I was like, that I'm not interested in not having a family. Family was really important to me. And in my mind, I thought if you were an entrepreneur or if you cared about money, then you didn't care about your family, right? So I just wanted to give that piece of background because I don't come from any kind of money. I didn't have a background in money. And that was my opinion about it. And my husband was a plumber, actually, and he was working out of town. And we were, I was pregnant with our third child. And he was working out of town for the entire nine months that I was pregnant. And he would come home on the weekends, wash his clothes and head out. And I remember looking at him and he kind of always wanted to open a business, but I was nervous too, because of the reasons I said. And I remember looking at him and being like, we're living our worst case scenario right now. Like, we don't see each other. This is not ideal. So, since we're doing that, let's do it. I'm ready. I'm ready to open our first business. So, we opened our first business, which was a plumbing and HVAC business. And through that process, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to this. You know, you think, well, I think it's kind of like it on the internet, it's really sexy to be an entrepreneur and it's just presented this way. So, you know, we, although we had taken that leap, then we realized we just owned a job. And we actually had a coach that said that to us. They said, you know, if your business isn't giving you the lifestyle you want, then you really just own a job. And we were like, oh, you're so right. So at that point, we, you know, we were doing well financially, but we realized we needed to start leveraging people in our business and leveraging the money that we were making in investing. And so we just started diving in and learning about investing primarily in real estate. And we thought at that point, you know, we were young. We thought if we bought, two single family homes for the next 10 years. Then by the time we were 60, they'd be paid off and we could just retire basically off of that. And that was really the plan. And we did that the first year. And then the second year, we ended up... There was a mobile home park that we were doing some work at. And the manager called us and said, the lady that owns this is in financial trouble. And she really wants... She needs to be out of this in 15 days. Do you guys want to buy it? And we did. And... It was And it was 70 spaces. So we quickly went from those two properties to this like 70 space mobile home park. And I remember my husband driving me through that and I was like, we are going to pay money for this. It wasn't like, you know, tiny home, mobile home park. It was like... Ghetto. Ghetto. But it ended up being such a blessing and we learned so much and it cash flowed so well. So fast forward, we just kept buying, it. We kept growing our personal portfolio through the years and then ended up selling our company in 2014. And then now that's all we do. Um, We have a private equity company and we invest primarily in mobile home parks, Um, but love investing in real estate in general and then also investing in businesses things like that that are real tangible assets that's really the expertise that that we have and you know through that process i just realized you know we started learning about investing i was going into these rooms with my husband and they're full of men there's like three women to every 100 men in a room like that. And I, it made me really sad because you know I, I want women to have the confidence and to build the confidence to know what to do with their money and to know how to make those investments and not feel like they don't know what they're talking about.
0: Mm, okay. Even though it's not super important, I can't move forward if I don't remember, I don't understand something. So let me go back and ask you a question. It's not super significant to the story, but I just want to, in case someone else is listening and they're hearing this too, they're wondering this too. So you did you sell the HVAC and plumbing business and then get into the mobile Home Park business? Or you still had that, you're running that?
1: Yes, we started buying real estate two okay. years into our company, I think. And then we sold it at year 10. So we had real estate through that whole process, but then just went all in, and you know we were investing passively when we had our business, but now you know we're more actively investing.
0: Okay. So I'm just recapping to make sure I heard you correctly. So then you bought a couple of homes and then you were doing some work at the mobile home park and you were offered to purchase the park. And at first you're like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. when you did that, okay, tell me what that looked like. Like, Was it profitable right away? Did it take a few years? What are some things that we could learn from your experience doing that?
1: Yes. So a couple of things, and I think that this is really important. You know, I think even in today's economy, um, people are like, oh, it's just too crazy out there, which it is harder to find deals right now. I'm not going to lie about that. It is harder, but there's always opportunities and there's always, my husband and I call them the three Ds. There's divorce, don't want them, and oh, death. I'm like I forgot the third one for a second. But in all of those scenarios, somebody is wanting out of that. If somebody's getting a divorce, they want out of that and they want out of it quick because they need to separate their mm. their finances, right? So you're actually helping them. If somebody just doesn't want them anymore, some people are just tired and they don't want to own them anymore and it's nothing negative about that property, they just don't want it. Or maybe, Kara, right? Maybe
0: they're getting older. Like maybe they've done exactly. it for 20 years and they're they're done, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And we see that a lot. You see that a lot right now, especially with the baby boomers and businesses in particular. So there's a great opportunity to invest in like service businesses right now because of that. And then death, obviously, that's a pretty obvious one. But if kids inherit things and they don't want to do that, right? it's kind of a don't want them and death. It's a great opportunity too. So I just want to bring that to the attention of it doesn't matter the economy, you just have to be looking for it. And there's always going to be an opportunity. So this particular one, obviously, she was in a financial situation where she needed to be out quickly. We did not have... So we had to come up with $75,000 down payment. We did not have that. And I think that's another thing that people think that they have to have money in order to invest. And although we had like cash and stuff, we just didn't have $75,000 sitting in our bank account. And so we actually brought it to somebody who was a mentor of ours in real estate. And he was like, you're lucky that you're my friend or I would steal this from you. So we knew it was a home run, but he actually ended up lending us like a hard money loan, lending us the money for it because he figured... And this is a a thing to consider too. When you're working with other people's money, they want some kind of collateral. And so he was just as interested in that property as we were. And he knew... That if something happened with us and we couldn't handle it, he could do something with that property. And so that's why we really love real estate or businesses as well, because it's really a piece of collateral that you can borrow money against. So he loaned us the money and we assumed the payments from the previous owner. And I think like that's, and it did, it cash flowed right away. We did have to do some work on it. And I think, you know, that's something we had luckily a company that most of our employees could do the work on that. So that was really a blessing. But if not, we could have too. But I think you know it did have some work, but it was cash flowing like $15,000 immediately a month. And then we... Oh my god. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And that's why we were like, okay, this is a whole nother realm of investing because a lot of people at that point weren't looking at mobile homes. Now mobile home parks are a little more saturated, but at that point, it was not as saturated.
0: Wow. I just have to take that in. I mean, what an amazing gift you got. And I mean, that kind of profit or return, I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about, but I have have heard the language, but that kind of return, that's insane, especially it being that quick Yes, and that much. And then it was consistent. So yes. then how long did you have that before you decided to, did you sell it?
1: We actually did sell that. It's interesting, though. We sold it to our... We almost sold it to ourselves, if that makes sense. So we sold it to our private equity company that we have now. So we still own a piece of it. It's just we don't own all of it.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this. Before we talk about some of the lessons and some of the lessons you shared where you don't have to have a lot of money up front, you can borrow from someone else. They're going to want some sort of collateral. You taught us the reasons that you can find um, these businesses divorce, don't want them anymore, and death. See, I've been listening. Yeah, then, you're good. <laughs> so we'll get to some of the lessons you learned because I think that's going to be interesting. But also I want to go back to, okay, how in the world does one start a private equity fund? Like that's just like so beyond my understanding. Like it doesn't It also sound so like fancy and like it, it sounds sound like fancy. something that you would have to have decades of serious business experience and tons and tons of money.
1: Yeah, um, it does sound fancy. Really, it's just... If you think about it, it's like a syndications, which could also sound fancy, but it's really the gathering. Oh, hold on. It does. (laughs) You don't know what you've gotten yourself into. I don't even know what that means. So basically, it's... you, You You would only really do this if you were really... you. You do need experience if you're going to open up a private equity or a fund or start a syndication. You would need either experience in the funding piece of it or you need experience in the actual business part of it. So we did have, I think, 12 years at that point of mobile home park because that's mostly what our equity company is for is mobile home parks. So we had 12 years of experience in managing and running um, mobile home parks that were really successful. So we had the experience piece of it and the only reason you would ever start something like that is if you are wanting to grow your portfolio a lot or you're you know you're wanting to expand and you don't have the funds so that's when you bring in other investors so really it's just a fancy way of saying we are all p- putting our money together to buy this piece of property and so and that's how most you know if you look at like blackrock you know they're doing all these real estate funds right so they're just gathering money from people so like you could put you in a hundred, mm-hmm, so, so-and-so mm-hmm. pitches at a hundred and you get a piece of the pie of the investment. So you get returns on whatever that income, whatever the profit is on that. You also get the tax benefits from it. And then if there's ever a sell, you'd get the profits from that as well.
0: Oh, so interesting. So interesting. I mean, there have to be listeners that are at the point where they could do that. But um, I'm sure most are, I shouldn't make an assumption, but let's go back to just buying businesses. So or investing, I'm sorry, investing in businesses. So how would you describe the difference between knowing if you should simply invest in a business or
1: buy it? And someone might say, well, it depends how much money you have. Pretend that's not an issue. Yeah, I would say I wouldn't even I don't think that my first question would be depends on how much money you have. My question would be, where is your time best spent? Because A lot of times people get into this trap and my husband and I are guilty of this actually, where your business, which was our plumbing and HVAC business was ours, is spinning off cash. So most people have a business or an income that's spinning off cash. And that's why they decide to start investing. Like your husband, he had all of this cash, so he needed to invest it. Now, his was a little different because he got a chunk of cash. It wasn't like it was... Just this continual spin off of the cash. But I think a lot of times if you are doing well and then you start considering investing, it's easy to think, Oh, well, that must be easy. I'm going to go over that way and start investing. And it's not, it, it's just another business. And then they kind of leave behind their business that is doing actually really well instead of just investing the money. And letting the money work for them, they've actually created another business, and then now they have to manage that business. So it's kind of two different things. So it depends on if you want to make investing a business, which I, I kind of steer people away from that, unless like you're really passionate about, you know, real estate or businesses in general, investing in those. If you're going to buy a business or invest in a business, I think you know if it's something you're interested in running, or you have the person in place to actually run. The business does that
0: make sense? Mm-hmm. It does make sense. Let me make sure I'm saying it back correctly. Okay, so I think what you're saying, part of what you're saying is, if if I see a business that that oh that looks like it could be profitable, I, obviously somebody would say it, it would be. It looks interesting to me. I have to decide: do I have the time and energy and resources to run that thing? And if I do, is it going to take from the business I have that's actually making me money? And number two, do maybe they already have people in place who could do all that, and I'm just funding it.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which to me, I would rather be the second end of that unless it's something I want to run. Because I think we get a lot of times it's like that shiny object syndrome. And we think it's going to be easier over here doing this. But really, if we just stay focused and do what we're really good at, and then make our money go work for us, that's really where the magic happens.
0: So are... Okay. So how do people find... The places where they can invest their money. I mean, are there services out there? Are there people like you? Are there people who say, hey, Jill, you've got some money and you've got some skills. Let me help you find some businesses that need a little bit of help. Either they're going through a divorce, someone has died, they just don't want it anymore. Or maybe they just need some cash and you can get a piece of the pie. Like, how do people find that?
1: Yeah, I think that's the hardest part honestly. You have to be in communities with people who do know where those deals are. You have to be hanging out with people who are investing. There's another thing though too, if you're going to be investing in other people's like businesses or deals, you have to start learning about it, right? Like and there's something about like, hey, I'm going to start learning about this like when we started investing in real estate, once we started looking, the the deals were everywhere. So I think the first thing is like that intention piece of, okay, this is the direction we want to go, but then find the communities where you can learn about their those deals, like investment communities, investment groups. If you are, I'm going to talk a big term right now, um an accredited investor. So an accredited investor is somebody who makes two hundred thousand a year or they make three hundred thousand with their significant other or they have $1 in net worth, not including their primary home. So that's an accredited investor. And that should really be everybody's goals because you get access to more private placement deals. Those are places that only an accredited investor can invest in. And that's where you're going to really find those deals that we're talking about where you're investing in other people's deals, maybe other people's businesses or other people's real estate deals.
0: Okay. So if I am listening and I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure we check those boxes. How do I find someone to say, yes, you are accredited?
1: If you check the boxes, you probably just check the boxes. Oh, so you don't have to have someone like check it out. (laughs) You do. So, okay. So this is how it would go. So I'm going to give you two examples. So Rain & Co. is a community that I have for female accredited investors. So we have an application process and it just asks those questions. I don't need to see anything. I'm just going to trust you that you are. But if you invest, we do actually bring in deals to the community for the deals that I've went through and I've looked at. It's really important that you get the financial education before you start investing. I want to make that like a big priority because there's deals everywhere and you want to make sure you're investing you know the questions to ask when you're investing and you feel confident when you're placing your hard earned money with somebody and making sure that operator knows what they're doing but when you're if you say you're going to invest with a deal that i have presented to you in rain and co they are going to either send you to a second company that's going to verify that you are an accredited investor or your cpa can give you like a a paper that says that they can verify that you're an accredited investor. That's how you would get that verification. So if you were to invest, there would be that process to get through that.
0: Okay. I have a million questions. So I'm thinking (laughs) of my friend, Kim. My friend, Kim, definitely checks all those boxes without her spouse. And she was just telling me recently, I really want to start getting into real estate investment And she's going to go learn. Like, where do you go learn? I know that you can learn anything on YouTube, but I'm saying, where would you recommend, what do you think is the best use of someone's time if they're like, okay, I checked those boxes. I don't know how to be knowledgeable before I would go into a group like yours. Where do they learn that?
1: I think you're right. It starts in like YouTube, podcasts, reading books. I I thought you were going to give me like an easy answer. like Go to this one place. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's really... I mean, it's like that self-education because we're not taught that. It's something you have to actually seek out. So I think that would be the first place to start is those free groups. And then actually, we do a free masterclass. We just started this. We do a free masterclass every month for women just talking about things financial. Um, We don't go too, too deep in it. It's like once a month call, but that could give them a taste of it. But I think you know things like that where you can find those free resources is your first step and then really joining communities that are going deep diving into that so whether it's a mastermind or maybe it's a course you take or maybe it's an event that you go to where you're going to actually learn a little bit more um i'm obviously biased to the rain and co community because we go through everything and we tell them the, the questions to ask and we bring the investment deals so that they can get their eyes on different investments. They don't have to invest in any of them. So it's really great. You can see them, see if it checks your boxes and really start to learn your own investment philosophy. But there's tons of groups like that out there that you could learn from. Okay. And
0: I may have misheard you then. Were you saying that you would like someone like Kim, let's say, to learn the basics before she comes to a group like yours? Or you're saying she can be in a group
1: like yours and learn as she goes? She could be in a group like mine and learn as she goes. There's, oh, then well, we let's all.
0: promote that. I know you're not asking to, but like, I don't even know anyone else that's doing this. And I love that it's just women. I have so many friends who I'm going to be transparent, like in the world of network marketing and direct sales, the whole story of people don't become successful in that industry is just such bullshit. Like you and I both know so many people, so many people who are six figure, multiple six figure earners for many, 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 many years, Right. I understand the majority of people don't make anything in there, but there are a lot of people that do. Anyway, I have several friends in that industry who either burn out. It's almost like your 3Ds. They're burnout. out. They're just kind of like done. They're ready to pivot or that industry is hurting. No one wants to talk about it, but it is. And they're not making what they used to. And they want to look at what they've earned and start investing. And they have no idea what to do or where to go. So if someone hearing this is saying, "Okay, so," do they just find you or do they look up rain and co online or how would they do that?
1: They could go to rain and co rain and uh, It's actually rainand.co is our, as our website and check that out. I'm I'm on Instagram and you can DM me at any time. I'm very much on there a lot and I love just chatting with people. So that's also an option. Really. It's a community of women where we can talk about money where we can talk about how much money we're making there's no shame in that and then also the financial education is the major piece of it just really financially educating the women in there so that they have the confidence you know another thing is some women they they don't want to talk about that or they'll give that job to their husbands which is great that's fine but having a basic understanding for you in case something was to ever happen in your relationship or if you know god forbid something happened to him and and he died like that that's happened to a couple of my close friends and you want to know what to do in that situation.
0: You bring up a really good point. Okay, so I know nothing about any of this obviously. And we never had any money to invest and now we have money to invest. And that's what my husband does. One it's enjoyable to him. It's it's challenging. He is in a group of people I've told you about that you know keep him up on things, offer him deals, etc. And he runs things by me and says, What do you think about this? What do you think about that? But I am so in the dark. Two things I want to say. One, I feel like men probably have no idea the gift of women's intuition. You know, that word is such a buzzword and people think it's all woo-woo, but it's just real. We have intuition. It's and very we real. feel into things and we can say, Nope, yes, no, yes. And he really, really sees that, you know, with me. So there's I'm kind of talking in circles here, but I'll I'll get to a point. The first thing I thought of was there are a lot of men who don't have their wives involved because the woman feels intimidated by it, I would assume, not because he doesn't want her to be, but she feels intimidated. She doesn't understand the language. But because of that, she doesn't get to add her gift, which is more than intuition. But I'm saying that's something men just don't have like we do. The second part that I was thinking of when you talked about, you know, if something happens, I've talked about that with my husband. Like it scares me. I would hope nothing would, but I also, uh, my, my best friends, her husband died completely unexpectedly at 44 of a stroke, at 44. And he had a great income for many, many years and had some investments. She had no idea what any of it was. And so my fear would be, that you know, I would mess it up or lose money because or people would take advantage of me because I wouldn't even know the language, let alone what to do,
1: yes. and you bring up such a great example of the take advantage because I did have a really good friend who they they were worth a lot, and people came out of the woodworks taking advantage of who she was. And she learned quickly because. She realized that she was being taken advantage of. And then she started getting the education. But to me, and I don't think that every woman has to know like every little detail, you know, but having a basic understanding and knowing what to do in certain situations. And to your point, our intuition and the wisdom that women have is, I think it makes us better investors in general. And I, like you said, when we team it up with our partner, I mean, it just adds so much. And there, I have a really good friend who they were going to be investing with this in this deal that sounded really great. Everything looked great on paper. And a lot of, I'm going to say like influencers, people that we, you would all know had invested with this particular person. So everything looked good, but she just had an off feeling about this situation. And she ended up not investing. Well, six, six months to eight months later, he ended up being investigated and there was all this stuff that was wrong and he might be going to prison. But you know, that's the power of a woman's intuition when she knows even if it, it does look good on paper, if she doesn't feel good about it, she's gonna know that. And we don't always go off of just feelings, like numbers do matter as well. Sure. But there's so much power in that. So I just wanted to highlight that because it is powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually had an experience where... I've never been asked to even look at anything to invest in, and understandably. And someone came to me and said, Hey, there's something a couple years ago you might be interested in. And I was like, I felt really honored, like, oh, like, you know, I get to be on here. And intuitively, I'm very tapped in with myself. And I knew immediately I would have bet everything on her, but there's something about this product that doesn't feel right to me, not wrong or bad, but I feel like it's not going to make it to market. And guess what? It didn't make it to market. That person I still would bet on and they have now pivoted and the product is something else. And I'm like, gosh, darn it, because that I would invest in. Mm, I didn't invest mm -hmm. because I knew the product. There was something about it that in someone say, how would you know that this is the reason it didn't go to market? It doesn't matter. I knew that that can, I knew the look of it. I knew the feel of it. It wasn't going to make it. But the person presenting it, I'm like, I don't even know her, but I can tell that, that, that person is someone to bet on. And so might someone a long way of saying, I wish I would have said something like, I wish I would have said, this is how I feel. If you ever pivot, can I have the chance to come back in? Anyway, I've, that, I'm just saying that's an, an example of intuition, but okay. So let's go back to the trailer park. Can we just go back to the trailer park?
1: <laughs> yeah. I love talking about trailer parks.
0: <laughs> so two things I wanted to focus on. One, let's talk about the term that I heard, it may not have been coined by Cody Sanchez. It may have been coined by you. I don't know. But the whole term of investing in non or unsexy businesses, that really, as my husband started getting into investing, of course, then I would see what he was looking at. And everything was like, not interested, not interested. And then I heard her voice. And I'm like, okay, now that I I like that she's a female and she's breaking it down into terms that I understand. And I watched a lot of her YouTube videos and I listened to a lot of her podcast episodes. And I love that she talked about car washers and trailer parks. And so what are some... Why should people consider investing? And what does that even mean in a non non, or unsexy business? Like, why is that a good thing? And maybe what are some examples of those?
1: Yeah, I love Cody Sanchez. She's amazing. You know, I think it's just... I mean, even with like mobile home parks, it was almost... There's like a stigma about it, you know? And I've been in two unsexy businesses, plumbing and HVAC <laughs> and... And mobile home parks, right? Like toilets and trailer parks. (laughs) Neither one of those are sexy, but you know what is sexy is cash flow. And I think that that's where we need to just like change because you see online all of these. And I think that that's where it can get like kind of glamorized, even the what you were just talking about, like, it could seem just really awesome. And this is going to be so amazing. It's presented in a really like, I want to be a part of that. When you present something like a car wash, it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm gonna be like, yeah, I own a car wash, like I'm gonna be really proud of that. Well, you should be proud of that, but I think it's just that's why it's like considered unsexy because people aren't really looking for that. They're looking for more of the things, you know, like a restaurant or some kind of a store, you know, a boutique. And those don't really make that much money, right? Like they don't cash flow as much money. A restaurant is horrible investment like they barely barely make it but if you think about things like car washes storage units service companies i really love service companies like plumbing and hvac electrical companies those kinds of things aren't going to probably be disrupted that much by ai and if you think about in terms of that and then affordable housing for like mobile home parks we are you always need a home and i think that's the th- my thing with like mobile home parks is It's an affordable house for somebody. So you're providing a need that our society needs. And after that, well, this is really kind of sad, but after that, it's really like homelessness, right? Like that's the next stage. And so I think, you know, providing, and there's not much affordable housing, you know, especially right now, if you look at rents and you, I mean, it is ridiculous what my son pays for rent. I was like, I didn't pay that. Like seven years ago, I was paying that for a giant house, you know? So, just thinking about in terms of like how can you solve problems, but what is gonna keep cash flowing? That's what I like to think about. Is it's it might not look sexy on the outside, but it's cash flowing and it's a need that people want.
0: And is isn't it true too? I don't know if it's true or not, but this is how I think of it too. When I think of the unsexy businesses, I think cash flow, but I also think more simplicity. And I remember my husband and I were talking the other day about, you know, what would we invest in? Side note, so he's starting a business right now. He, he's, he bought into pickleball fran- uh, the first indoor pickleball franchise available, okay? And we don't regret it. It is going to be profitable. But oh my gosh, the amount of work he is putting into this, Kara. It is, I have never seen him more stressed. I've never seen him work so much. He is trying to launch three almost at the same time. And the first one is like quadruple the size of what it was going to be. However, here's what he said to me. I will never, ever start a business from scratch again, ever. Like he's like, I'm just done. He goes, I, from this point forward, it's gonna be functioning and it's gonna be simple and it's not gonna be sexy. And so that's something that I've heard from someone I feel like is pretty sharp and understands investing now after two years of of being involved. And I think that's important to think about. You know, if you're thinking of our listeners, like, again, I'll go back to my friend, Kim, like it could sound really cool, as you said, to own a really cool, you know, store in downtown of wherever you live or something else. But what if you could have a car wash and it's bringing in just printing money?
1: Yes. And it has the systems in place. Systems and I think that that's place, kind yes. of what you're, you're kind of keying in Thank on you, yes. is, you know, your husband's having to create all of those systems. So if you buy an established business, it usually has systems and then you just, inc- you just make them better. And usually they're not very great because most of these businesses you can buy are from like, you know, the baby boomers who are retiring. So they're doing it old school ways, but you just like tweak them just a little bit and it's going to improve the business like drastically. But I think, you know, those systems and then having somebody, I think if you're going to be investing in a business, having somebody that's going to run it, unless it's something you are really passionate about, like have that person, it's a who, like who is going to run that and have them in place before you even make that investment.
0: Yes, and I love that you also pointed out a business that's not going to be impacted by AI. And then I would also say a business that's not going to be, oh, I don't know what you term you'd give this, but like it's not as um, unstable with an unstable economy. You know, like just the other day, my husband's like, everybody is going to need a plumber and an electrician. Like everyone needs HVAC, everyone. Like it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You need that shit. And yeah, this is super helpful. What is something that in your group, what is something that you have seen come up enough that it's a pattern with intelligent, capable, dynamic women that either stops them from taking a deal or or investing into something or anything that you have seen over and over again that you'd like to talk about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is, you know, a lot of times we're on a budget when we're poor. And so we establish a budget when we're poor and then we start making money and we never go back to a budget. I don't know, like very relatable, right? God, that's so good. And that's so me. No, I, I mean I'm right there too. You know, so you know I think knowing where your money's going and really being the master and not a, a budget in a scarcity piece, but like I know where I'm sending my money, I know where it's going, and I'm actually commanding it where to go. Like that's how I like to look at our our money and our budgeting. So it's not like oh are my budget's controlling me. No, you're controlling the budget. You set the budget and you tell the money where to go. But really making sure you're setting aside money to invest as you're doing all of your things like you have a, an account that's just for investing so that when opportunities do come you have cash ready to just just to put to work right so i think that's the first one i think the second one is fear And this also has to do with um, kind of the controlling of money. I think so many times, and it goes back to the money mindset. That's why the money mindset piece is like the foundation of everything. You have to have that. And that continues to grow. Like you'll always be peeling back the layers for that one. But I think fear of losing it, fear of making a mistake. And really the bottom line is like, you have to get your... You kind of have... You got to get your feet wet, right? Like you got to take that first risk. Now you don't do it until you've built that confidence, but I think that that's the thing that I've seen the most is people you know, I've seen really poor people who are fearful and I've seen really rich people who are fearful. And I think not letting money have a grip on us because when you think about how you how money came at all, the only reason you have money is because you provided value you provide a value to somebody and that's why you have money, whether it's in a business, whether whatever, however you received it, you provided a service for somebody. And so really taking your mindset back to that of like, how can I continue to provide value? And then obviously we want to be cautious of what we're investing in. But if you sit on the sidelines the whole time and you're just too fearful to make that first move, you're never going to multiply your money. So I think that that's one thing that I see a lot holding a lot of people back. And you really just have to, you have to take, That first one, you can't steal second base with your foot on first. I always say that. Like you have to take a little bit of a risk and do that first investment. And you can start small, like depending on what your comfortability is. Like start with a percentage that feels comfortable to you. And when you're doing it, you're you're basically saying, I'm considering this gone. Right. Like you just have to have that mindset. Mm. And then Obviously, the education piece is huge, but that's you know really why they're in there. But I think those are the two things that I see the most. There's a lot, but that came to mind right at first is just really being the in charge of our money, commanding our money where to go, and then not letting it control us and keep us stuck and in fear.
0: Mm -hmm. What would you say to to? And it's okay if the answer is you just can't do it because not everyone can do everything. But if there's someone who says, you know, I'm not, I don't check the boxes of being an accredited investor, what would you consider? A wise, lower risk investment for someone who makes. Let's say there's someone who saves really, really well, and they make. Let's I don't know fifty thousand dollars a year. I mean, there are so. I remember when I my kids were little, I had a friend who she was always got had some little side hustle. She had those like gumball machines at like the mall. She vending machines. She would invest in vending machines. I didn't even ask her about it, sadly. I was just surviving at that point, but I look back now and I'm like, she was smart. And then later her brother got into those, those machines that you go in where you get the picture, your picture taken, you know? So are there so a few things like that that maybe you think are, you don't need as much money and they're not as risky and they, they tend to, if you can find them, they tend to pay okay.
1: Yeah. I'll give a couple of examples, but I do want to emphasize you a lot of times you don't have to have money. Like To get into like a private placement, you do have to be that accredited investor. But if you want to buy um, a duplex or a single family house, there are people out there that will sell or carry that home. And you could be in it. Our first purchase that we made, we went in with $5,000 and then assumed the loan. That oh was literally gosh. the deal. And we have rarely brought in a lot of cash to our investments. So I think the perspective change of... You don't have to have you know, that whole thing. You have to have money to make money. You don't have to have money. So I think the education piece, coming back to that, first of all, so you can get into real estate with little to no money. There's people who make money off of lending it to other people. And if you have real estate, that's a really good asset. I would lend a real estate all day long because I know that it's collateral for me. So just thinking of that. First of all, but I like things like, I mean, there's so many ways to, you can rent out your house. You, you can Airbnb your own house. Oh my God. That's so smart. And go and stay in somebody else's house. You can, if you own a business, you can rent your house to yourself and make money tax-free. There's what? that's like a little way you can make a little bit of money. There's a place called Peer Space. If you own a house that's cute or somebody would want to rent that you can rent out your house for just events, for dinners, for photo shoots, things like that. Turo, Turo is a really great option. My husband and I dabbled in Turo last year just to see, like, would this work for somebody? And I think we made, we had three cars on there, and we made like eight grand in four months. And what is Turo? Turo is when you rent your car out. Are you serious? It's kind of like Airbnb but for a car. I have a really nice car. What if I rented my car? I didn't even know I could do that. Yeah, you. I mean, what? It, It's a lot. So, I mean, we dabbled in it a little bit. There are risks to it, like there is anything of some, but Turo was really great. Actually, my husband's truck got wrecked. So I'll just throw that one out there. But Turo covered everything. Like they have insurance and all of that. So, but, you know, he was without a truck for like two weeks because it got wrecked. But so there's those things to consider. Like if you can't survive without a car for like two weeks, maybe you don't want to do it. But I think, you know, people babysit dogs. I mean, have you? Do you have any dogs? Have you had to take your dog to board it? It's so
0: expensive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you could hustle a couple dogs in your house. Like There's so many ways to do those sites, like the gumball machines, how you were saying, the vending machines, ATM machines. There's so many ways you can make a little extra money and invest it. It, It'll take a little bit of work, like anything, but...
0: Mm -hmm. I was actually, as you were just talking, I was thinking about... Like there is a secret ingredient that some people have that not everyone has. No right or wrong here, but right. There are certain people who hustle and certain people who don't. You just, you, and it's, that's not the same thing as work ethic, in my opinion. Like, like I have, uh, we have five kids and I have kids that are great employees and like work hard and they will show up early and stay late. That's different than grit and hustle, in my opinion. And so I've got two of my five kids one of them needs to mature more but he's got the, the the it's not a gene but let's say it is he's got the gene but but one of my kids my oldest is i mean a hustler and has the grit and the work ethic she was saying to me she's a lash artist don't look at my lashes right now i haven't brushed them she would be mad at me for saying that but she's a lash artist and she started off just doing lashes in our basement right? As a brand new single mother, baby on the breast doing lashes, right? As she was learning in school. Then she finished school. Then she started having clients in our home. Then she moved out and went in one space, right? And then she went in another space. And then she has like four or five people that booth rent under her. Now she's moving into a building. Um, it's pretty amazing story. People look at it. I'm sure they assume, oh, your parents bought that for you. Oh, no, we did not. We had nothing to do with it. She is paying rent each month in this gorgeous historic building downtown, and now opens in a couple weeks and has 10 different rooms. Now, all the people have signed contracts and are renting from her, so her rent is covered, plus a couple grand a month at least. Utilities are all covered. My point is that she's already looking at the next step and saying, you know what, I realize, and I'm saying this for a reason, because someone listening might say, oh gosh, that's me. She realizes. Without me saying a word, she said to me, I don't think I'm going to get to where I want to be in this industry. Because one, I don't think I want to own a bunch of salons and like lash studios. She's like, I, and she just turned 25. She said, I feel like I need to start investing, but I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know where to start. I would love to like flip houses or get low-income housing. Or she has all these ideas. She even talked about ATMs. So for someone like that, I feel like, I just feel like this is such a great episode. What you're sharing, I know is like normal to you and you speak this every day, but there are a lot of people, Kara, that they'll hear this and go, this opened a whole new world for me. Women in their fifties, you know, but my daughter being 25, I'm thinking of her right away. Like she gets that there's a way to make more money, but she doesn't know how. And she has all of the, all of what it takes to do it. So my second part of my question is, Are there ever investors, I'm just thinking this right now, are there ever investors that would go in on an investment with someone like that? You know how you said, always make sure you find someone to run it, right? What if you don't need someone to run it, but you want someone to sort of like handle everything? Do you know what I'm saying? Like Mary is the kind of person that she's going to say, look, I've got five grand. That's all I have. But I have a lot of grit and determination. Could I have a percentage of it? And then she goes in on it with or do do people do that with with
1: oh yeah. Others? Yeah. Yeah. There's partners all the time. There are deals for non-accredited investors too, if you're not quite there. But you know, you could partner up with somebody or with a couple of your friends and go in to flip a house where you each put in money, or maybe two of you put in money and one of them just does the work. And they, you know, they're that's their equity is they're gonna do all the work and then you split the profits afterwards but for sure. And I want to key in on something about your daughter. The thing that that she's doing and why she's done so well is she's learned leverage. And I think that that is the biggest thing that we can learn from that little story is the leverage. She's learned to leverage people and she's learning to leverage money. So we always learn to leverage people usually first, especially in our businesses. So she's learned to... Oh man, if I get these guys... And she's helping them because they probably couldn't afford to go do this on their own. So she's helping them get started. And then she's le- then she's going to go leverage the money that she's making too.
0: Yeah, and something interesting, I mean, this isn't necessarily applicable to just investments, but just in business in general, isn't this interesting? That the people who are like an employee or they're not the investor, they don't understand that the person taking on the risk should be making more of the money. So she has people who they don't get that she went out to a bank at 24 years old, took out a loan for $35,000. That is a shit ton of money, right? $35,000 and bet on herself. And I even said, I'm certainly not the mom that's gonna say, oh, think more, you know, think small. And I'm a mother. So I was like, okay, let's, you know, do you feel good about this? She's like, 100% all day long. I said, go for it then. Took out a loan for 35 grand. Is investing it to re remodel the inside to make it look really really good, right? The owner of the building, I actually said, talking about real estate, I like. I need to be an investor and start buying buildings. These freaking people! have been making so much money off of her. The first building, she spent twelve grand repainting and making it look great. Now when she leaves, they get to charge more rent, right? This place only gave her ten thousand dollars of tenant improvements. And I learned the term T.I., aren't you proud of me? T.I., they came for that. And then she is investing another 30 grand to make it look way better. And so then when she's gone, they're gonna be able to charge more, side note. But my point is that she went out and took out this money. She's doing all the work. She's in charge of the renovation. She's talking to the general contractor. She's making, it all. it's pretty amazing. And I cannot tell you how many people think that when they come in and rent a room, or a booth for whatever, I don't know what she charges, a hundred bucks a week or whatever, that that they're sort of like at the same level. And I think that it's really important for people to understand that the person who takes the risk should make the most money. And you're the expert here, but I feel like I'm not going to ever get to where I want to be if I'm not willing to take the risk. Like you said in the beginning, you said at some point, you've just got to say this money's gone and you just are willing to risk.
1: Yeah. I'm going to drop a book that I think everybody should read, Cashflow Quadrant. Have you read that?
0: No, but my husband has. I think he's talked about it.
1: Yeah. It's so good. It's by Robert Kiyosaki. But it really talks about the four... It kind of divides four different categories. So there's the employee, which is the general population, and they get taxed a lot and they get paid... They trade their time for money all day long. And then there's the self-employed. And that's somebody who owns their own business, Kind of like when we first started our business, we still are trading our time for money. And and this is when you don't really have employees too, like or very many employees. You're really in your business. You're still really trading your time for money. Your tax actually... You're going to be paid more than the employee. You're taking that risk like we were just talking about. And you're going to be taxed more in that. Then there's the business owner, which is really leveraging other people in their business. They can be removed from the business. The business runs without them they are actually... They're using people's skills. So they're trading people's skills for money. Instead of their own time for money, they're trading other people's time for money. And they're making more money and they're paying a little tax because they're doing what the government wants them to do. And I think that's another misconception is we think that taxes... Taxes are actually written in benefit of business owners and landowners. If you read it right, that's why you get rewarded for you know, buying a truck. Why do they want you to buy a truck? Because you're employing... You're buying the trucks and you're employing people. They want you to employ people and then they want you to provide houses. So the fourth quadrant is the I, which is the investor. They are... This is where you're trading... You're using money to make money. And this is where there is little to no taxes because of the tax depreciation and tax benefits of investing. And... That's where everybody, every no matter if you're an employee, an investor, or a business owner, you really want to be in that I quadrant no matter what. But the B and the I is where you want to move over to as quickly as possible. Mm, Great suggestion for that book. Yes, I have
0: heard of that. And I've heard a a, a little brief description, but that was a great description. That's super interesting. Well, thank you so much. This has been so... Interesting. Thank you for being patient with me, asking so many questions and also not having any (laughs) understanding and my tangent stories. You know, I do that on my podcast. I end up telling telling stories. But I appreciate your time, of course. But I really appreciate you bringing something to us that we've never discussed before. And it is super empowering. It really is. And you mentioned your organization. And you said that if someone is interested at all, it's okay for them to just DM you on Instagram. And so it's just Kara Ayala, right?
1: It's Kara underscore Ayala. Yes.
0: Okay. All right. So they can find you there. And then the book again is Cash Flow Quadrant. Yes. Right. And then the name of your organization again?
1: It's Rain and Co.
0: And is that like R E I G N?
1: Yes, R-E-I-G-N. Okay.
0: All right, great. Thank you so much, Kara. This has been really good. This has been challenging and interesting and really inspiring. Like really, I'm thinking of myself and thinking this is way out of my comfort zone and and an area I probably would like to explore.
1: Uh, I love it. This was so fun. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks so much.